You're listening to Sage Spirituality with your host, Joel Marbit. Welcome to another episode of Sage Spirituality. I'm your host, Joel Marbit, and it's so incredible to be back at the table with you. And I look forward to getting into the material with you today. But before we do that, I want to ask you to take a moment and share, take a moment and rate this podcast. Every time you rate our podcast, it pushes us up and makes us more visible. And I also want to ask you to subscribe. And you know, when you subscribe, it just means you're not going to miss out on growing deeper with the Lord. I want to thank each and every one of you for becoming faithful listeners. Every week, there are hundreds of people that are tuning in and are absolutely having their lives transformed. The feedback is amazing, and we're continuing on this journey together. And I just want to encourage you to share that journey with other people. You know that there's people in your family, there's people in your church, there's even people you work with. They really need to come to the table because they need to grow in their knowledge of Christ and they want to go deeper with the Lord, this is a way for them to do that. I want to take a moment and encourage you not to fall to the temptation of just moving on to the next new episode. We're kind of like a monkey that likes new shiny things and if we're not careful, we just get distracted and we move on to something without really processing it deeply. And what I would want to do is I want to ask you to allow that each and every episode to serve as a building block in your spiritual formation. Maybe that means that you're going to take a pause and you're going to look back and you're going to re-listen to the podcast you've already listened to. And you're going to see if there's a way you can do something from those podcasts to go a little deeper in your daily practice and your daily walk with the Lord. You know, over the past several episodes, we've talked about uh, living radically generous lives. We've talked about uh, not just giving of our time, but also of our money and our talents as well. We're talking about living a, a prayer-centered life, very, very key in the in the spiritual walk. And we're not talking about superficiality, but a deeply rooted, intimate relationship with God. And also, we've talked about practicing self-denial, fasting, not only through food, but also just through things that we enjoy and things that we like. Anything we give up for the Lord, we know that He's going he's gonna to bless it and He's going to meet us there. And we're driving out selfishness, consumerism, and excess. But, you know, there's something that we all should know as followers of Christ. If we truly live out the Sermon on the Mount, if we truly live out the Christian life, realistically, we have to realize that people are going to start talking about us. And they're going to talk about us, uh, the non-believer that we work with, maybe the Pharisee that we see at the marketplace, the curious neighbor who sees something in us that they just don't understand. We really can't control what people are talking about any more than Jesus, who was God incarnate, could control people talking about him. Everyone watched the way he lived his life, everyone heard his sermons, and everyone talked. Everyone had an opinion about him. And they're going to be, in your life spiritually, they're going to be straightforward comments. There's going to be some sideways comments, and there's going to be some backhanded comments. And we should not worry uh, what they're saying. What we should worry about is what they are seeing when they look at us. I remember the old song back from the 90s. You know, guys, let's just give them something to talk about. If we're going to live out the Christian life and we're going to say that we're followers of Christ, let's give them something that they can talk about. 
I hope that our lives reflect Christ in such a way that people can talk about us and they will talk about us. I hope our lives are not like that of the Sunday school teacher who was shocked when he had his room full of little boys on a Sunday morning and he was teaching them and they were talking about the Christian life and they were talking about how their lives should reflect Christ and the importance of living a Christian life on a daily basis. And the, 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 the Sunday school teacher looked at all the little boys and after he had given his entire teaching that day about living a Christian life, he asked his little boys a question. He said, why do people call me a Christian? And you know, there was an incredible pause around the room and all the boys were looking at each other and no one really said anything. And one of the little boys, he raised his hand and he said, maybe it's because they don't know you. Now, I hope really, really, really that your life reflects Christ and people can say, you know, I know that person's a Christian because of the way they live. But what I want to talk to you about today about your salvation, your walk with the Lord, is your salvation is so much more than just a get out of hell free card to be played at the end of the game that we call life. God has redeemed you with a purpose and he has the same expectation for each and every one of us. We can find that expectation right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Just after the Beatitudes, we find these words by Jesus in Matthew 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. It gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now when we look at Matthew chapter 5 verse 13, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. Now it makes me have just a few questions here. First of all, who is Jesus calling salt and the light? Is he referring to everyone in the world that every person on the planet is salt and every person on the planet is light? Re to be able to understand this, we got to see the context because Jesus kind of laid a foundation in the Beatitudes of his expectation. And he said in Matthew 5, 3 through 12, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now Jesus gave the context to make that statement right after giving that list of beatitudes, of characteristics that are that, that should be manifest in the life of every believer. At that, he said, when you're living radically obedient life to my commandments, to what I dictate, 
when you make the decision to follow after me, then you're salt and you're light. He's talking to those believers who are swimming upstream, who make the decision to live a life that is countercurrent to what the world around us is living. A life of nonconformity to those around us. A life wholly based on pleasing God. The light is opposite of the darkness that surrounds it. Guys, we're surrounded by darkness on a daily basis. The world we live in, a lot of people would say, is getting more and more dark every day. And our light should shine more brightly. Also, salt is different than the dirt in the ground where it's mined and it's pulled out. It's something different. There's something different about it. I love what Oswald Chambers said about the Sermon on the Mount. He said, the Sermon on the Mount is not a set of principles to be obeyed apart from identification with Jesus Christ. It's not some moral code is what he's saying. It's not some list like a Ten Commandments, so to speak, that we should be meek and we should be peacemakers and we should do this and we should do that. But he says the Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit is getting his way with us. I want you to think about that. And I want to ask you the question, is the Holy Spirit getting his way with you? Because when the Holy Spirit is getting his way with us, then the Sermon on the Mount will be the fruit, will be the manifestation, will be the evidence that we have been taken over by the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These Beatitudes are not just a list to be strived toward but they are actually a lifestyle that we will live if and when the Holy Spirit is getting his way with us. Now, how do we give flavor and light to this world where we live? You know, there are a lot of things that we can talk about here, but realistically, I think Jesus is pretty clear. He's saying that we're going to give flavor, we're going to give flavor, and we're going to give light to the world through our sermons. Well, automatically when I said through our sermons, many of you threw up uh, barriers and said, hey, Joel, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a missionary, I'm not a pastor, I haven't been to seminary, but just give me a second to fill in the blank here. Because there's two types of sermons that I want to talk about. I'm not giving you a homiletics uh, lesson today. We're not going to talk about uh, how to prepare a sermon or anything else, but there are two types of sermons that I've found in this life. Number one, the verbal sermons, the sermons we preach. Now, one of the church fathers origin, he said, our earnest desire is both to see for ourselves and to be leaders of the blind, to bring them to the word of God, for that he may take away from their minds the blindness of ignorance. And if our actions are worthy of him who taught his disciples, you are the light of the world and of the word who says the light shines in darkness, then we shall be light to those who are in darkness and we shall give wisdom to those who are without it and we shall instruct the ignorant. God has placed inside of us eternal truth. We have lived and we have experienced the love of Christ and we must be willing to share that love of Christ with all of those who are around us. 1 Peter 3 13 through 16 says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, 
you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give the reason for your hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Peter's saying this, listen, they're going to talk about you, but you maintain your testimony and you talk about the goodness of Christ. You share Christ with them as often as possible. Another church father, Clement of Alexandria, he said, Wells, when pumped out, yield purer water, and that of which no one partakes turns to putrefaction. Use keeps still brighter, but disuse produces rust in it. For in a word, exercise produces a healthy condition both in souls and bodies. No one lights a candle and puts it under a bushel but upon a candlestick. For by teaching, one learns more, and in speaking, one is often a hearer along with his audience. Now, this is something I've learned in my own life. What Clement is talking about here is he's saying the more we share the Word of God that's in our heart, so many of you guys are so timid, you're so scared to open up your mouth and talk about what God's done in your life. But once we start sharing, all of a sudden, the water becomes pure. The more we pump the well that's inside of us, the more we allow the streams of living water to come forth out of us, the more purity comes out of us, the more clarity comes out of us, just like a tool that's well used. That's what Clement said. It doesn't have time to oxidize and get rusty. The same way that our life, when we live it out in the gospel and we share the word of God with with those that we know, the people that we love, guys, We cannot withhold the truth of Christianity. We cannot do it. It is remiss. It is a sin when we remain quiet and those around us are dying without hope of salvation. It's just as much an atrocity, probably even more, than what would happen if a doctor found the cure for cancer, but he refused to share it with a world that's dying with cancer. We have the eternal gospel message and we must be willing to open our mouth and share that message with other people but we also have to realize the benefit when we do open our mouth like clement said for by teaching one learns more when we begin to share the word of god a verse here a testimony there just a just a word of encouragement when we start to do those things little by little we actually learn through what we're sharing with other people Now, the second type of sermon that we live are the nonverbal sermons. These are the sermons that we live out in our daily life. Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And one of my goals every time I preach the word in a church or in an outstation or in a conference is to glorify God. And that should be the goal for our sermons that we live that our lives should glorify God. And I love this example from the life of Francis of Assisi. Francis invited a young monk to join him on a trip into town to preach. And this young man, he was so honored to be asked by this great saint of God to go share the gospel. And so the young monk followed the uh, St. Francis throughout the city and they went from one side to the other and they walked through the streets and the byways and the alleys 
And they even went out into the suburbs and they saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And at the end of the day, they headed back home, but not even once had Francis stopped to preach a sermon. Nor did he talk to anybody about Jesus. And really, the young man, he was pretty disappointed because he was wanting to learn the trick of sharing the gospel. And he said, I thought we were going to town to preach. And the story goes from St. Francis's autobiography. He says, he responded, my son, we have preached. We have preached while we were walking. We were seen by many and our behavior was closely watched. It is of no use to walk anywhere to preach unless we preach everywhere as we walk. And St. Francis is accredited with this term. He said, preach always and use words only when necessary. Now, I think we can look at the example of Francis that in our daily life, we can preach not with our words, but with our actions. I want you to see what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1, 27 through 30. He said, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here that I still have. Now Paul's saying here, no matter what you go through, let's make sure that our life reflects something that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. So there are many people that would say, you know, I'm a Christian, and I believe in the Lord, and and I love Jesus, but the problem is, is their words don't line up with their actions. It's something that's really, really tricky that now is it maybe today it's it's popular to say I'm a Christian, but my words and my deeds do not reflect what Jesus taught and preached in the Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of like a man who would say, you know, I really love my wife, but I don't want to talk to her. I want to I don't want to see her. We would accuse that man of being a hypocrite. And realistically, his actions would speak much louder than his words. So if you're a Christian, let me ask you a question. If your Twitter feed was pulled up in church so everyone could see all your tweets, would you get uncomfortable? What about your Facebook? What about your search history on your laptop or your cell phone? Are your recent conversations in work, if they were recorded, or maybe your conversations with your friends outside, of work, or maybe even with your wife and your family? Do you live a life that testifies of God's love and faithfulness? Now, Clement of Alexandria, going back to this father of the church, he said this, but we ought to have works that cry aloud as becoming those who walk in the day. Let your works shine and behold a man and his works before his face. For behold God and his works for the Christian as far as is possible, imitate God. Friends, I'm going to read that last sentence one more time. He said, for the Christian must, as far as is possible, imitate God. In everything we do, when we imitate God, when we imitate the love of Christ, when we imitate the humility of Christ, when we imitate the life of Christ, our works cry 
aloud. And when our works cry aloud, we make a difference. Andy Andrews, the novelist, he's a modern novelist, and I like quite a few of his books. They're kind of encouraging reads. But he made this statement. He said, everybody wants to make a difference, but nobody is willing to be different. And our being different is what makes a difference in this world. When we live a life that's completely different to those around us, we cause flavor and we cause light to come into the picture that is causing darkness. I love what Alexander McLaren said. He said, if you would win the world, melt it, do not hammer it. I love that. The fact is we have a heart to win those around us And many Christians, all they know to do is to preach and and criticize and maybe wear their Christianity on a sleeve in the form of t-shirts or in the form of bumper stickers. But Jesus has called us not only to preach verbally, but to preach through the way we live. And when we live out the message of Christ, what we're doing is we're putting down the hammer and we're turning up the fire and we're melting the hearts of those around us. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He encourages us as believers. He says, The Bible is not the light of the world. It is the light of the church. But the world does not read the Bible. The world reads Christians. You are the light of the world. Think about that, friend. People are reading you right now in your daily life. I absolutely live by this statement, my children will not do what I say, my children will do what I do. You know what, the people around me, they are listening for what we're saying, but they're also watching the way we live. Now what does this salt and light do? What is our purpose here on earth? Is it just some kind of esoteric Uh, existence that we're supposed to be in, maybe get into some kind of spiritual fog and remove ourselves from society? I would say absolutely, positively no. You know what? I believe in times of retreat. I believe in times of solitude, but I believe God has called us. We do not take a candle and hide it under a basket. We put it on a candle stand. We do not take salt and hide it in a cellar. We put it on the table so that it can be used for the purpose that it was intended for. Now, as we mentioned before, we add flavor to the world. We're the opposite of what the world is. We're the opposite of all the craziness and all of the hurry and all the materialism and self-centeredness and ridiculousness that we're seeing in the world today. We are the difference in the world right now. We're the flavor and we're the light. You know, something else that salt does is it preserves It preserves the society. And I would tell you right now, friends, in the world where we live, we are what is holding the world together. Christians who are living out radical obedience to Jesus Christ is literally the only thing that is keeping the world from coming apart at the seams. Origen said back just a few centuries after Jesus' death and resurrection, he says, if all the Romans embrace the Christian faith, they will when they pray, overcome their enemies. For men of God are surely the salt of the earth. They preserve the order of the world and society is held together as long as the salt is uncorrupted. 
No, this is Origen speaking from a Roman empire that had yet to convert to Christianity. This is a time when Christians were still being persecuted and killed in the Colosseums. And Origen said, but we are what preserves the order of the world and society is held together, but only as long as the salt is uncorrupted. Thank you for listening to Sage Spirituality. Stay tuned for part two.